Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Rob Jones, and this is my little show, Just Up the Trail. So I'm recording this on the evening before the kids go back to school after a weekend of birthdays. Mine and the youngest one, Isaac, we share a birthday weekend. I'm on the second, he's on the third. It really does seem to have a feel of summer's end to it. It usually does because, you know, the last weekend of the school holidays is always a bit manic. And then you add on two birthdays on top of that. Not that mine really counts anymore. I'm 43. But um, the last week of summer just seems to get away from us a little bit. Don't get me wrong. We've had a real blast. I've probably spent more time in the sea than on trail. But as autumn comes, I'm probably going to be trying to get out a little bit more than I have recently. I've got a few little things lined up. But in my little social media bubble, people who I kind of live vicariously through, just to keep in touch with what's going on out there on trails. Um, A lot of people have started to finish their hikes, the ones that I've been following all summer, really. So Stephanie has finished her Land's Enter John O'Groats. We spoke to her a few weeks ago, and that was a really interesting project that she was undertaking, visiting all the different uh, sustainability and environmental projects between Land's End and John O'Groats. Impala, who I've been following on Instagram, and uh, he came and used our shower and had a cup of coffee with us back in June. Was it June, early July, maybe? Um, He's finished his circumnavigation of the English border. And today's guest reached the top of Scotland about a week after we got together for this chat. So today, Dave Thomas joins me to chat about his hike from Land's End to John O'Groats. He's in a lovely little B&B in Dingwall. It was really good of him to take the time out to talk to me and to find a place with some guaranteed wi-fi that was really really helpful for me but we talk about hiking and trail community uh, a little bit about imposter syndrome embracing the concept of hiker trash and of course walking with his four-year-old daughter for almost 500 miles of this trip he's on you can find dave on his social media and i'll leave links in the show notes to all of that and of course you can get in touch with me on my social media stuff or through the website justuptheTrail.com. If you know someone or you are someone with a story to tell from the trail or you just want to say hi, please go over there and drop us the line. Anyway, I hope you've all had a really good summer. Here's to loads of autumnal adventures and I'll start my conversation with Dave by asking him about the pace he's keeping. Forgiveness, no more suffering, when we spoke earlier in the week, you said you were hoping to be in Inverness for about the 20th, and now we're in, what are we, the 17th, and you're up in Dingwall. So, like, my first real question, not that I really do questions, but my first question is, like, are, are you running? <laughs> no, I'm really not. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, I don't... I, I mean, I... I Genuinely, half of this I make up on the spot, on the fly. One of the reasons I'm, I'm I'm taking this route now, as opposed to finishing the whole Great Glen Way, was partly because of this uh, podcast episode, because I needed somewhere, as you will see, I'm in a, a little hotel in, uh, in Dingwall, and it was because I wanted somewhere with guaranteed Wi-Fi and a bit of quiet, although I have got the seagulls going outside. I actually, you'll notice I go on a few tangents, so I apologise, that is, that is the brain injury, but the... Um, I've got the seagulls outside and I've realised that's the first time I've seen the coast since Cornwall. Oh, I'm, I'm back at the coast. Isn't that incredible? It feels really strange. Like the last time I saw the coast was in Cornwall. So um, so your background is in fitness, isn't it? That's uh, Yes, yes, yes. That's right. Yeah. 
to be fair, looking at you, you're in pretty good shape. Have you noticed the oh, difference between, like, have you noticed the difference between like general fitness, which is your forte, and hiker fitness, as I call it? A hundred percent, Rob. I mean, basically. I don't think someone, a few people, because I've, I've met a lot of people who are only just starting out, especially on the West Highland Way. I met a lot of newbies to sort of through hiking and uh, and I'd, I'd almost class myself in that in the sense I've sort of hiked my whole life, but I've never done massively long stints and um, what more because I've never had the time. And they've sort of said, how did you train for this? What do you, and, and yeah, there is a degree of what I'll probably call base fitness that I've I was actually a very uh, nerdy, sensitive kid, um, far more sort of academic than anything else. And then I just, but I realized I had a little bit of sort of, I'm not going to say athletic ability, but I had a bit of potential. Um, so I started running and so on when I was little. And I just sort of found I was one of those people that could take to a few different sports. And um, and, and then I think it was more, I'm quite competitive. So the way I got better than other people wasn't because I necessarily had the 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 natural talent or because I was stronger or certainly not bigger um but I definitely trained quite a lot harder and I think that's kind of carried over I definitely have no matter what I do it doesn't take that long to sort of get back to a degree of cardiovascular fitness which I think is is obviously relatively important um I've obviously done quite a lot of strength training and with that something I've always done uh, quite a lot of especially in, in uh, my, my fitness business was kind of loaded carrying um so we, we always did quite a lot of strongman exercises and things like that and that definitely carries over to uh you know getting a getting a weight on your back but people keep asking me how, how do you train for this and the reality is I, I genuinely don't know how you can train for walking for 60 other than doing it i mean it's it's the most specific form of training i can think of i mean there's no other way to get really good at walking with weight than walking with weight i mean that's it what sort of weight are you carrying at the moment I knew you. Obviously, knew you were going to ask that question. Well, um, I'm, I'm, I don't want to nerd out on gear. It's not really a gear show. Yeah, but... no, it's just it's just so funny, isn't it? I call that like the, the foreplay question on the trail. Like everybody asks that. It's just like the first thing. Well, so what's your weight? I I reckon it's it fluctuates, obviously, depending on how much water and so on. But I, but but what I will say is I'm I'm travelling light. It's probably more around the ten kilo mark generally, because um and even i've learned like I, I reckon you know i thought i really thought i'd gone light and then um after a few hundred miles on the southwest coast <laughs> uh, and i did quite a lot of that which i'm sure we'll get to with my with my four-year-old as well so there was days where i had 25 kilos on my back you know a thousand meters up and down I, I realized very quickly that that wasn't sustainable uh, and also even then like you know it is hard in britain obviously depending on the time of year you, you kind of want to pack for every eventuality and, and so on but ultimately i figured you know, do it, did I really need the waterproof trousers in July and August in Britain? My skin's pretty waterproof. I've actually found the best thing I've got now is that I, I wear a pair of uh, swimming shorts because they get they get wet and they dry super quick. They're like the best thing I've, they're genuinely the best thing I've ever, there's a little hiking tip for you. So yeah, most of the time I'm, I reckon I'm around about the 10 kilo mark with water and food, maybe up to you know, maximum 15. Has water been an issue? Because like the last couple of months has been pretty dry yeah and, and actually not necessarily where you'd expect it you know i've got a little filter um and you know up in the highlands that's or the dales where that's never gonna depend on way that's not really a problem um what the worst day i probably had on the entire trip was walking from sirencester to cheltenham and it was flat as a pancake well actually no that's true there were there were some hills in there but it was generally pretty easy walking and 
but I hit, I mean, I don't know what this, I don't know what you'd even call it in hiking terms, but I'm just going to say I hit a roadblock on a right of way where a, uh, a kind individual had decided to effectively just block it off with barbed wire. Um, and whilst, you know, that might not be allowed and whilst you can complain, it's not much use in the moment. And it was right at the start of the heat wave. And I would deliberately planned, I only had about a litre of water with me because I knew exactly where I was going to fill up and all of a sudden I couldn't get there. And so I had about a three mile detour across open fields in 38 degrees and all of a sudden I was in a spot of bother. Um, and, and that's absolutely the closest I've come to a cropper on all of this in the middle of the, <laughs> you know, the, the sort of Midlands. And um, and yeah, I, I think I actually had some heat exhaustion by the end of the day because I was, I was actually in a bit of a mess. I was shivering and, um, and I was asleep by about eight o'clock. It wasn't, it wasn't great. So it's, uh, I think it's, that's always a good reminder that no matter where you are, even in a developed country like the UK, you can uh, get into a spot of bother. Yeah, because you think of like those sort of areas, I suppose it's there specifically, it's the Cotswolds, but like Middle England especially, you kind of think like, that's pretty safe. I'm not in the highlands, yeah. remote, you know, but then if you think even your water sources, you're probably not going to trust them because you might run off from farmers' fields and all of, you know, roads and all of that. Even your filter isn't going to... Well, exactly. I mean, again, one of the other terrible days I had, I went for a little dip in the Severn, thinking mm. that would be absolutely fine. And then effectively, I ended up uh, riding the porcelain highway, as I, as I yeah. call it, for about for about two days. Right, was where really was that, just out of interest? I can't remember exactly, but it was on the seven way and I'd, uh, I'd had a lovely little, lovely little camping spot and everything was fine. And then, um, yeah, just thought I'd have a dip. I thought I'd have my mouth closed and all the rest of it. And um, I'm surprised you didn't come out itching. Well, yeah, someone subsequently told me apparently the seven's got like the highest drug concentration of any river in Europe or something like that. <laughs> so maybe I was, maybe I was just absolutely, uh, you know, off my face. <laughs> Before you decided to do the Van Zenter John O'Groats, what was your sort of hiking background? Was there much of a hiking background? or So I don't think of myself as a hiker. I definitely feel more, uh, as I believe, you know, you would call it the hiking community. And uh, and it's been a wonderful community to sort of become a bit more of a part on um, because I've been charting things online and I've, I've met so many new people and and I absolutely love it. It's, abs- it's one of the most supportive communities and inclusive in many ways that, that I've ever come across. However, I, I have always hiked and camped and been outside, but but I never labelled it. And it was never really, I guess it was more just a thing. You know, when I was a kid, we would just go off on daft adventures, me and my friends. And I was very fortunate. We sort of uh, lived all over the world because my dad was in the RAF. You know, so we did a lot as well as a family and we didn't have a huge amount of money. So we used to go like, we would always go off our trailer tent around Germany. That was that was sort of what we did for holidays. And, you know, I was in the scouts and so on. So I, I learned, you know, orienteering and, and basic bushcraft quite early. But but I always had that slightly sort of adventurous, lean more towards the riskier side of, uh, of things. And I would tend to just, you know, go out and do it. You know, me and a friend on my 19th birthday had a few too many beers in uh, Budapest. And we just decided we'd walk to uh, Vienna. All right. So what's, how many months is that? Well, well, I'll put it this way: we didn't make it, no. uh, but 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 we made it a good few hundred miles <laughs> with absolutely no uh, with no equipment other than a, a couple of bivy bags. Um, so, going to say, is that a hiking trip or is that a hiking trip or is that just boys on tour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possibly sleeping in random Hungarian villages. It sounds like a rugby club tour, doesn't it? <laughs> it does a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, t- I tell you what, rural, rural Hungary is one of the most friendly, uh, supportive places I've yeah. ever been. People oh, were just brilliant. taking us into their houses and feeding us off. It was uh, it was remarkable. 
so yeah I, I guess i'd always been outside i'd always loved this world i actually spent a couple of years in the shetland isles when i was a kid um because uh, my dad was the military dentist up there for the entire island um so that was that was an experience and i think that's the job you, you don't know, think of being in yeah. the military do you <laughs> No, he always tells the famous story of where because he was so important um, to, uh, to to everyone up there that the the uh, the ferry to the mainland actually he once missed it and they uh, they turned it around to come back and get it. <laughs> so. um, yeah. So, um, at what point do you decide that you're going to go big with this one? Then, so I think it was it was in 2020 in during covid like a lot of people i was doing a lot of thinking um and it was it was a difficult time obviously running a fitness business we i mean we were really struggling obviously um but i'd also it'd been an extremely stressful period having to effectively just revolutionize a business just to survive within a couple of weeks um and i just remember one afternoon i don't know if you really remember we had a really nice summer that mm. uh, which was always the great irony we were all stuck inside and it was actually really lovely and um I've been going out every day for my one hour of, uh, of exercise. And I remember I was just lying. I think it might be my birthday, actually. I was lying in the garden with my wife and I said, do you know what? I just want to, I just want to get away. I just want you, me, our daughter, Willow at the time was two, and our dog, Frankie. I said, you know, why don't we just walk Britain? Why don't we just do something like that? Wouldn't that be brilliant? What a way to, what a way to just move on from this sort of collective trauma and crisis and uh, and go see the world when we've been locked up for so long and then you know reality reality meant that by the time that was even a possibility uh you know my, my daughter was now four we had we'd welcomed a, a two-year-old little boy called ash and uh, and very sadly we'd, we lost our dog frankie uh, last year who um you know he was kind of my adventure companion um so in in, in some ways this is almost a little bit of a a tribute to him and so that changed the practicality of it all quite a bit. It was something I still wanted to share with my daughter quite a bit because, you know, we have a very special bond, but also we, we do walk a lot. We always have them together. It's been kind of our thing. So if I'm being really honest with you and it, and it slightly feeds into my, I suppose, some of these blessings and curses of, of, of my, my brain injuries, which, which I'm sure we'll touch on is that, I probably have a slightly different attitude to risk and spontaneity even than a lot of people. So even though I'd been thinking and ruminating on this for a couple of years, it was only when I suddenly realised uh, I'm currently doing a psychology MSc and that the exams finished in June. I'd stepped back from the management of my fitness company, the Foundry, and I suddenly realised I had a couple of months for the first time, literally in my life, where I didn't have any major responsibilities. I had a little bit of freedom. And I and I just just said to my wife, I think this is it. I think next weekend I'm going to go, and and that was it. And and so I, I really want to tell you, you know, I, I it's not that I don't believe that, you know, the whole fail to prepare and prepare to fail philosophy, because I think there's a lot of truth in that with, with hiking to a degree. I think you do need a skill set, and I think you need a bit of common sense. But I also think sometimes you can overthink these things a little bit as well and that comes back to my my point about you know my route 
I, I genuinely, I really enjoyed the spontaneity of not planning and discovering things fresh with completely innocent eyes. Like I, I, one of the examples I want to give you is the, um, the the Fools of Clyde or the Clyde Fools. I'm not sure which way around they call it. I, I didn't even know that they existed. I'd never heard of them. And I'm just walking down the uh, Clyde walkway and all of a sudden they're there. And and it was it was almost a spiritual moment. I mean, it was a really powerful moment seeing this stunning natural beauty that I didn't know existed and I hadn't read about in a guidebook and I saw an otter in real life for the first time and 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 I loved everything about that and I've really tried to wherever I've gone almost approach everything a little bit like that completely fresh. Um, You mentioned your brain injury when I hear of uh, or when I hear the phrase traumatic brain injury I would automatically presume it was like a car accident or something like that but from doing some reading up for your Instagram posts and what you're doing, it seems to be a bit more um, coming from um, rugby. It's something that's very much in the news at the moment. Um, you, you will see it out there. I I only hesitate slightly when I discuss it because I do love the sport mm. and I love sport in general. And I generally think the rewards far outweigh the risks. I think rugby has had a problem with brain injuries, uh, both in terms of education in terms of support um, and, you know, there's so many stakeholders at stake uh, with, with these kind of things. So it's, it's in no way a simple thing. However, I would say the education around the potential for those sort of injuries when I was young was fairly non-existent. So when people say, well, they knew the risks, I, I did not know the risks. I didn't know that I could damage my brain for the rest of my life playing rugby. That wasn't a thing. And I, I had my first very serious one when I was about 16 and I was actually unconscious for about an hour. I had, uh, there was a medic on the side of the pitch who uh, opened my airways because I'd stopped breathing as well and um, got me to hospital. And and so obviously that's that, if I just tell you like that, that sounds quite traumatic and you would assume there would have been major follow-up. I was back playing rugby a week later. That's that, That's obviously not, a sensible thing or a healthy thing for a young developing brain to be doing and within about six months of that uh well actually less sorry within a couple of months of that um I first experienced depression and at the time obviously I didn't know what that was I didn't put two and two together neither did any doctors I was just told you've got depression and I was put on um antidepressants which had a quite a severe reaction to me so I was put on something now uh, called uh, called Siroxat was the brand name and actually there was a big lawsuit years later that GlaxoSmithKline had hid clinical data that showed it uh, could cause suicidal tendencies in, uh, in in preteens and unfortunately I was one of those so I uh, had a couple of suicide attempts um, throughout my late teenage years and then eventually with sort of a lot of support and help managed to wean myself off uh, the antidepressants and then I had another traumatic brain injury towards the later end of my career in my, in my mid thirties that I ended up hospitalized with, uh, again, after basically about a week after it, I just collapsed, broke my ankle and actually went into the ankle and the doctor said, so why did you fall over? <laughs> I didn't have a response. And so, then he sorry, the second that, one was from rugby as well, was it? It was rugby as well. Yeah. And that was, it was more innocuous. I wasn't even hitting the head. I, I sort of had like a whiplash injury. And this is the thing we know now there's all these, Subconcussive forces, and you know, I mean, at the elite level, it's it's a whole other thing. We're talking car crash style forces, but but even at the amateur level, in a way, sometimes I think it's worse, just because you know we don't have concussion protocols on the on the pitch on the sideline. We don't have medics there to have, you know independent medics to look at head injury assessments, and so um, you know, there's always going to be uh, an element of an element of risk. But but I guess for me. 
the physical symptoms which which have been, you know and the physical and i suppose personality symptoms have, have been really quite dramatic at times i was actually speaking to a friend of mine today who's a journalist in america who also suffered a traumatic brain injury in a in a cycling accident and we were saying one of the hardest things to deal with is the the, the genuine fear is the only way i can explain it when you when you experience like depersonalization so you don't feel like yourself and it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And and I became a different person in lots of different ways. Some of them really quite unpleasant. Like I, I could be generally quite offensive in my in my words. My wife always said it was like I had a personality transplant almost overnight. And obviously, when you when you don't understand that and you're not aware of that yourself, that's obviously scary for you, scary for the people around you. And 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 something that there isn't an enormous amount of, I suppose, awareness and education uh, out there. So as I've gradually improved um and for me hiking and camping and getting outside is a big part of that i think one of the things i found hardest is far less physical side of things now because a lot of that just clicks together when i'm out here um it's things are simpler i don't have as many problems with concentration and memory and and so on but it's the it's that sort of psychological trauma of of trying to unpick mistakes you've made but also just the things you've dealt with and, and and i'm sure you understand that a little bit from mental distress so like i've been diagnosed with like depression and anxiety but like the i went for help pretty much the in, back in 2019 we realized i had an issue because i scared my daughter right that's tough man yeah yeah and it's like and my wife is like sort your shit out like go and get some help and I did and now I'm you know on the right way and, uh, and Rob that takes that takes amazing strengths to actually do that mate as well to acknowledge that and to recognize that and because there's different ways aren't there I actually had a I hope you don't mind me sharing this quote because I actually wrote it down it was by uh, Marguerite uh, um, Usenar who is the, um, the I think she was Belgian um, novelist and, and someone just shared this with me the other day and I just thought it perfectly explains People keep asking me why I did this, and it's probably a bit similar to you, why you went and got help. And for me, it was, you reach that moment in life, different for each one of us, when a man abandons himself to his demon or to his genius, following a mysterious law which bids him to either destroy or to outdo himself. And that was it for me. I, I, re- I was on that precipice. I reached that point where if I didn't do something really quite transformative like this, I don't know where I would have ended up. And you have that choice, don't you? You can... It's, it's, I suppose it's sort of existential awakening of, for me, it was, it was actually, you know, the impending mortality and the fear of losing my cognition and, and, and all these kind of things. And I figure with that, you can either crumble or you can sort of philosophically like man up. <laughs> and, and, I, and I imagine from what you're saying, that's a very similar experience to how you went through. Like you, oh, you could yeah. have just spiraled. You could have completely yes, spiraled. Yes. And um, like, like I say again, last year, it was really quite innocuous, but um, I'd been struggling for a little while. Um, so this is like the second spiral, if you like. So I'd been trying like CBT and stuff like that. And then last year, like work was tough and other, you know, money worries and two years of living on high anxiety of or hypervigilance of there's a thing out there we can't see and it's coming to get us, if you like. And then my neighbour drove her car into my work van that was parked outside my house and my head went straight from she'd driven into my car or into the work van because it's at home and not at the yard the insurance won't cover it so i'll have to pay for it so christmas is cancelled 
and then the next morning I was working from home, meant to be working from home that day. So I, I emailed the firm and just said, or emailed work and said, this is what's happened. And then because the admin girl, because she hadn't emailed me back within five minutes, I knew she started at eight o'clock. Why didn't she email me back at five past eight? Warm. And I was just yeah. curled up in the in the kitchen and Hazel was ringing the doctor. There's like, no, but you know. I'm glad, I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I could feel myself going again. So I've been back to the doctors this week and that's sorted. Um, anyway. can, I, can I ask how, can I ask how, can I ask you, how does the, how does being outside and hiking help that? Do you ever feel pressure that you, that, that so, it's a bit of a, a, a crux, a plaster? I have, I feel that if I get out regularly, that maintains my mood, but it doesn't fix anything for me. And mm-hmm. sometimes if I haven't been out for ages, I feel a lot of pressure in this is what's going to fix things. So it has to be bloody right. It, like, it has yeah. to go perfectly. So then if I sit in traffic for two hours or a train's late or it rains for three parts of the day when the forecast says it wasn't, my mood can slip very quickly and I can be very, what's the point? I had a day, uh, it was, it was through the Midlands and I had my daughter Willow with me and she just wasn't into it that day Mm. and I'd built it up in my head because I hadn't seen her for nearly two weeks and this was our time together and she just didn't want to walk that day and she just wanted to go home and everything was wrong and she's a you know she's a four-year-old toddler she's a preschooler like as you know that happens every day but because I'd built it up so much in my head that these were these mm-hmm. perfect moments you know it, it broke me yeah. and uh and, and I didn't I actually did manage to control that I let that go but it but I was in such a bad mood all day uh you know inside just because I'd like you said I built this expectation up that like being outside with my family and going on these adventures was that's the be all and ever but you, you forget you still have shit days on the trail and you still have good days <laughs> how have you dealt with the isolation on trail I suppose and is that exaggerated by your injury yeah that's a really good question initially I found being on my own quite uncomfortable uh, for long periods of time I made myself a promise that I wouldn't listen to music or podcasts or try and distract myself I would try and be present and not necessarily even enjoy my own company but just be very present in my own company as I said to you uh, offline earlier genuinely one of the only things I've listened to is your is your podcast which has been a little treat in the uh, in my tent in an evening but I found that really hard you know being alone with your own thoughts and your own demons and the mistakes of your past and that level of self-awareness for 10 hours a day with nothing else to do but just walk is is really hard initially and I think very few people would know how that feels because you have no idea day to day how much you distract yourself when you have your phone and you have your tv and work and all the rest of it and then slowly and I'm and, and it was imperceptible there wasn't a Damascus moment at all but slowly I started to get used to it and now I enjoy it and that has been quite a slow transition. Now I find it genuinely therapeutic. Eight hours will pass in the blink of an eye and I've just been on my own with my thoughts. And I still get lonely. For me, it's just, it's my family. That's what I miss. I miss my wife and kids. I've been lucky to be able to see them throughout this adventure, but I miss them. I, I want to see them all the time. And actually a lot of my route, and, and I don't, I, to be honest, it's a really interesting thing I think about Lands You meet people all the time along the way, but actually a lot of the places I've been, I've not really met any hikers. 
the only genuinely busy place was the West Highland Way, um, which I completed like, last week. And I really enjoyed that change. I can imagine a lot of people in the sort of hardcore hiking community, it probably annoys them being with that many people, but I absolutely reveled in it. It was genuinely wonderful just for a few days. I was on it for five days just to meet people from all over the world, hear their stories, properly be part of that hiking community, getting around the campfire in the evening, you know, because I haven't had that for most of this. I think if I'd had that every day, I would want to escape. Like at the end of the West Highland Way, I've been quite happy having my own time again. So we, um, the West Highland Way was our first big hike as a family. So, oh, I, fascinating. So Isaac, who's my youngest, was trying to think now. So it's 2017. So he was four and a half, four and three quarters Amazing. when we did that. Um, but we found that we didn't really get as much of that community spirit of it because we were with the kids, we were going much slower. So we'd see people at camp and they'd walk off and then we'd see them at camp at the end of the day, but very few were walking at our pace throughout the day. So as they've got bigger um, and we've done other things um, since then, we, that's been brilliant that, you know, the kids go off and do their things and we chat to other people as they come along. So when, but I assume the kids are going quicker than you now, right? Oh yeah, I can't keep up with the buggers at the moment. So. <laughs> Just up the trail is brought to you by you, our dear listener. If you can afford five pounds a month to support us on our Patreon page, that's patreon.com forward slash Just Up the Trail, then please do. It really helps to keep the show independent free from advertisers and it will also help to keep the show free for anyone who wants it who may not have the money to donate so you'll be doing a very kind and very sound thing by donating thank you very much how have you worked out where because your daughter's work walking with you in places so how have you kind of worked out the logistics of that which section she's doing which section she isn't and yeah, I mean, the first thing to say is obviously my wife is a superhero. I mean, <laughs> she is my one woman support team, and, and, and that's just true in all of my life. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be here without her anyway. But it's completely coincidentally worked out. She's done a part of every section with me, and that, and that wasn't planned, but it's been perfect. Um, and it was more because it was through the time my wife could get on holiday, and then the logistics of different parts of the country. I mean, we're lucky that my in laws live in the Midlands. My mum and dad live uh, in the Yorkshire Dales. Uh, we got lots of friends in the southwest. So really, the the only part of the country we we haven't been able to do is is Scotland as a family. And so, but they're coming to join me for the last week. Uh, we've actually uh, hired a little camper van. Oh, so my wife and the kids are, that yeah, they're going to follow up the A nine, and me and my daughter are going to do the last bit together. So we'll have actually done about we'll have done about five hundred miles together by the end. That's know, good going. Fair old slog. And and as you all know, the interesting thing is like she if you're happy to share a little bit about yeah. you know with the kids thing because i'm really interested in your experience yeah, yeah 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 go for it you know how young is is too young with this stuff like i was very very aware the one thing i didn't want to do was make this like a competitive thing with her like i, I straight away i said to my wife i don't want to be breaking world records or like trying to make her walk the whole thing this isn't about you know because that's about me mm-hmm. do you know what i mean that's an ego thing just trying to be like you know pushing my daughter like for me this was about enjoyment for her just get her to enjoy what she can and if she doesn't enjoy it she stops and just to be there in the outside and and it just so happens she absolutely loves this and you know we, we enjoy each other's company but 
a lot of people have also talked to me and obviously this is slightly my area of expertise a little bit more is about you know the development of like oh is it okay for her to be walking five miles a day and i'm like i genuinely as an experiment once put a pedometer on her when she went to nursery and she covered she covered well over 10 miles <laughs> so now i think there's a there's an argument for i know there have been stories over in the states haven't there, these um, very young families doing like the pct and things like the appalachian trail and you know i i think that brings other risks and i certainly would never put my you know my daughter in, in danger but i think if she's happy to walk five miles with me and then i chuck her in the back um, you know for another five miles that's only beneficial for for both of us but i'm really interested in your experience as to when that changes so we kind of live always kind of live by a motto of doing dangerous things carefully that's such a good way of putting it. Yeah. Exactly. It's about so, genuinely risk 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 management, but, but 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 just parking the fear. Yeah, so we're on Portland. We've got loads yeah. of wicked cliffs we can and, and like ledges we can go tombstoning off. All you ever hear is horror stories about tombstoning. Of course, Kids jump yeah. off and they hurt themselves. And yes, it's dangerous. But before we do it, my wife, who's a very strong swimmer, she goes in, she gets her goggles on, she goes and scopes out underneath, and we say, Yep. Yeah, Right, it's high tide in an hour, so you've got two hours. And then once the tide starts dropping, you stop. And then they do it, and they have, you know, so that's just one example. We go climbing with with the kids. We try and keep them within their grade at the minute. They're too young to really push things, and I'm not good enough to get them out of trouble if they do get into trouble. So, so yeah, doing dangerous things carefully. When it came to the hiking, we kind of felt that we were kind of waiting till they were old enough but if we waited until the youngest one was old enough, then the other one's going to be that much older. And then maybe I'm too old. Yeah, for sure. In the end, we just kind of said sod it. And we took them up, like we took them up Snowden for the first time and they coped with that. Um, took it. So Isaac was three and a half when he went up Snowden and he wouldn't let me carry him. So he was the youngest. Really? He did the whole thing himself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took us nine hours. That's, that's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> that's because they have to look at every blade of grass on yeah. the way <laughs> and then the next day we did Cader Idris and that took us 10 hours and we went at the Fantastic. Minford track I don't know if you know the Minford track yeah, um, uh, yes. but what we found was that doing it at their pace meant that we were always alright the next day you see these people that go off and they'll, they'll run up and down Snowden in like 3 hours and then their legs are aching the next day and they probably go and sit in the pub but we can do it day after day and then when they were that small then we were doing like longer through hike generally when they were smaller 10 miles was their limit and then after that they'd get cranky but now where we've been um like section hiking the southwest coast path they'll do 10 miles in the morning i i think it's genuinely inspirational but i think the key like you said is the they just have to enjoy it though because you don't want to like you said in a way if you almost wait until they're old enough you get to that situation which probably happened to most of us when our parents used to make us go for a walk and we resented it because there was other things we wanted to be doing at that at that point um and i think i'm very aware of that this is just about trying to instill that enjoyment of being outside moving and then um you know I'm, I'm not forcing it upon her so uh but that's great to hear that sounds like i mean and, and do you get real you must get such enjoyment out of doing that as a family yes yes it's amazing and um, what we have noticed dynamic wise it used to be that we'd kind of be almost bribing them along the trail so if we get to this point i totally understand that 
Yeah, we do we we do the tortoise and the hare, which yeah. is like Willow's favourite game. Where basically she, she'll go, "Okay, Daddy, you're the tortoise, and I'm the hare," and so that means she has to run ahead for like a hundred meters, pretend to sleep, and I have to plod up behind. And honestly, that'll get that'll, that'll keep her going for about five miles. Um, that and chocolate, that and chocolate. I use Smarties as magic speed pills, basically. <laughs> Um, yeah, the other thing is with our kids now, they're sort of the older ones are teenagers and they're full on nerds. So as they're going along the trail, they're now playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, that's amazing. So, so yeah, so um, we've all got special characters. Your family sounds, you, you, they sound joyously wholesome. They are. They're um, hard work at times, but. I was I was are. not that kind of teen. I was not that kind of teenager. I'm afraid. I wish I had been. Um, you've got. You're a, you've got a little farm up in Yorkshire, is that right? Uh, that's that's correct, yeah. Nethergill, yeah. Nethergill Farm. So, how hard is it after walking all the way home from Cornwall to then pack your bag and walk away again? Ah, oh, yeah, that was the hardest thing. That's proper motivation to get done. Like it was a it was a real toughie. That that was the one genuinely hard time. Um, I really also because and i'm it's something i'm gonna be really honest with rob i'm really anxious about finishing this i'm really worried about that i don't know what you want to call it that sort of like hiking anticlimax when you finish everything comes crashing back to it and i can only imagine after doing something like this for 60 days that's going to be 10 times worse but i experienced some of that because i walked all of the dales way with willow uh from ilkley to the farm and you know there's something about walking home and getting there and it was so euphoric and hugging my mum and dad who hadn't seen for that long and just having then a few days that's the only rest days i've had so i took three in a row i mean i haven't had any any other time um so that was just wonderful and then all of a sudden I had to get going again, and the day I got going, it was absolutely pissing me down. Oh, and yeah. I had to get, I had to go up onto the Pennine Bridleway, <laughs> and and I, and I said on my on my Instagram post, you probably see, like I, I genuinely had like a Lieutenant Dan moment in uh, in Forest Gump, where I just started screaming obscenities at the weather. <laughs> And and it just made me laugh so much when I when I imagined what someone watching me would would think that actually that kind of like brought in my mood a bit and I just got going. I mean it's funny, isn't it? It's just it's like riding a horse. Give it two days later, I was absolutely fine. I was back. I was back on the trail. I was in my happy place. It felt great. It was it was purely the pull of family. That's mm-hmm. what I find hardest for my current journey. I feel like I have to do this on my own quite a bit. I think that's um, for my. You know, where, however you want to call it, I, I try not to sort of be overly flowery in my language or spiritual about it. But, you know, this is quite a transformative thing for me. This marks kind of the end of one part of my life. I, I'm 40 this year as well. So like my wife keeps saying it's probably the most wholesome midlife crisis you can imagine. Uh, you know, I didn't find a younger model or buy an expensive car, but she was still glad just to get me out of the house for a bit. Um <laughs> But at the same time, obviously, as you know, like I would much rather be doing this with my family and, and going forward, that's something I want to do a lot more of. But there's just practicalities for this. The, the main one, actually, with Willow is just as you said, I just don't have six months to do this. Otherwise, I would have taken her the whole the whole way. But then we'd have to look at every single blade of grass between did the Did you meet and... Ian and Evie on the way down? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, our Spectrum Adventures. I did. I, and and it's I had been following their journey all the way but but i hadn't but obviously when i got started then i had no idea where they were or what they were doing and we met just as the Pennine way crosses um snakes pass basically and 
it was surreal because I saw them coming. I thought, I recognise these people, but obviously I had no context. And then I say hello because I say hello to absolutely everybody. I'm probably one of those very annoying hugs, but I do greet every single person I see. And we start chatting. Haven't I just opened his house? I said, I think I think I know you. And then we got chatting, and um, I just think they're fantastic. I think it was. Uh, I had a really nice chat with him, and 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 also what was lovely, they were absolutely fascinated in what I was doing and were extremely supportive and uh which and bless them I just thought I so I only found out because someone just sent me a random Facebook uh page from them where they just said we we met this guy up on a mountain forgot to got his name but here's here's a picture (laughs) so that's what I mean about trail community it might not necessarily be someone you're hiking with and this is kind of where the social media does play a big part of it now whereas before you'd you know it'd be like trail registers and you try and catch people up but now it's a lot more interconnected and if you you know if you think far enough ahead you can meet up with people and share stories and um on one of your posts earlier this week or maybe last week you said about like the first time you didn't feel like a bit of an imposter yeah i think it's like just a little bit of imposter syndrome on your part do you think i i have imposter i have imposter syndrome with everything i'm I'm naturally very self-critical and i probably lack it doesn't come across because of my um my disinhibition but but i naturally lack confidence and i question everything and i'm very self-critical um and i think with this it's you know if i turned around and said oh walking from land's end to john o'gall hasn't been that hard i mean first of all that wouldn't be true but also, it's. I'm also very aware that there there are harder tracks out there, and there's there's lots of ways you can get yourself into much more dangerous situations. And and it, obviously, it's been extremely challenging and difficult. But but I don't I don't think of myself necessarily as. I think it's because lots of people, because I've been uh, documenting this journey online, I've, I've naturally attracted a little bit of attention and people have been asking me for either media quests or, or people who are walking want to learn about my experience and, and so on. And, and, and of course, I don't feel like an expert because <laughs> I'm not. But then also, I suppose then when you actually do look over your past and you think, well, I suppose I have probably done more of this than some people. And But it's because I've never called myself you know i've never done any mountain leader courses i've never and i've never you know done any of the big i've done basically almost all parts of almost all these you know the national trails and so on but i've but in the past it was just because i fancied going for a walk for a couple of days and that was as far as i ever got in my head it was never about ticking off wainwrights or monroles i've you know i've climbed the three peaks just because i happened to be near them on holiday at different times and i just wanted to climb them On, on on this route like i said i make it up but every now and again if i just see a hill on my way i will just climb it because i want to climb it but but half the time i don't even i don't even know where it is i'm going (laughs) so i guess it's i guess it's that you say you're not an expert but you're an expert in your experience you know what you're what's taking you i suppose i know my own i suppose i know my own yeah my lived experience i think it's um you know when you that the, the social media is a, obviously a uh, a mixed bag, and one of the problems also is that you see, you know, people with voices and experience, and 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 you know, especially if you're doing a similar thing or whatever, it's hard not to compare yourself and be like, oh my god, like you know, why is anyone listening to me? Um, and so, in that sense, I think that's why. I, but I think I genuinely think I felt like an imposter in fitness, even after 15 years in a successful <laughs> business, and you know it's it's to say I, I think in a way that's probably not a terrible thing it humbles you a little bit maybe I, I definitely don't feel I feel like a jack of all trades I definitely don't feel like an expert in anything. 
And um, once you got onto the West Island Way and you you started to maybe hike with more people and connect with more people, did that that's when that kind of that feeling kind of left a bit and you thought these are my people now did you yeah it was mostly it was that sense of belonging and community absolutely that was the that was the first thing the other thing was that i i realized a lot of people were i'm trying to phrase this properly not looking up to me but i realized a lot of people you know i also realized a lot of people needed support uh so i was there during this recent heat wave that we've we've had in the uk and you know there were people genuinely struggling where, you know, they needed shade or water. I had to walk a few people into town so we could get a taxi somewhere. And, you know, it, it was definitely a more challenging week uh, for sure. And I re- that was the first time I realised that I found it a relatively comfortable route. And I noticed a lot of people were just asking experience about, you know, all the usual questions about kit or about, you know, wild camping, uh, how to... <laughs> you know how to light a campfire these kind of things and you realize that actually maybe sometimes these are things that you might take for granted these these are skills or knowledge that you have that actually you can share uh with people and so the good thing about the west Highland way i've realized that because that is quite that's a really good introductory hike as, as, as you know if you want to experience through hiking and, and wild camping and so because of that i met a lot of people who, who were quite new to it and um it was nice in a way just to feel like not that you knew any more, but just that you could help support them a little bit on on their discovery. And I really enjoyed that. I thought that was, yeah, that 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 felt quite fulfilling um, because I'm used to helping people in in fitness and maybe other areas of my life and charities I've been involved with, but but not really in hiking. It's been quite a selfish endeavour, and that was the first time I felt like I was maybe part of something a bit bigger. And, well, and then you got indoctrinated into the official hiker trash community at Fort William. <laughs> Had you heard that phrase "hiker trash" before? I, I don't know. And it, and it, honestly, when you told me, it just yeah, it So it's an Americanism. There's a there's a hiker in America called um, I think it's Renee Patrick. Her name is. She goes by Shira. Um, and she set up a little company called um, Hiker Trash, and it was just like bandanas and stuff. Because, and it was just that when you get to town and people, you know, off the PCT or something, people aren't sure if you're a hiker or if you're homeless. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That was exactly what what occurred to me. Yeah, for context, I was basically refused the coffee at um, a relatively nice canal side hotel. Um, and yeah, and, and she, I got one look up and down and. Um... <laughs> just told no and um you know for the people who you know can't see me right now i'm a white middle-aged middle-class man and i'm i'm not uh, i don't experience discrimination in my life and um it was a very timely reminder that it's extremely dehumanizing and unpleasant and um uh, it's not something i wish to experience again uh but um but yeah it was also it was also quite quite funny because i always laugh i said this is the thing about scotland in so many ways it's it's absolutely wonderful like you know land reform and uh and so on and, and even actually i found the infrastructure up here which is a, a particular bugbear of mine that i would love to actually talk about a little bit but you know I, i've experienced in the in on this walk I had no idea how beholden we are to the car in this country, mm. and but even more so in England. You can there can be two villages about a mile apart, and and there's no way to get between the two walking or on a bike unless you want to go down a national speed limit road with lorries doing sixty miles an hour with no grass verge, hedges up to here, and it just made me realise how much communities are cut off unless you have unless you have a car. 
Have you seen the Slowways project? I, I have, and actually, uh, so it was it was actually a high crew who put me in touch with the Slowways project, and I've looked at that. And, but but even now, there's a little part of me is like, but, but, but what? Yeah, why should you have to take like a five mile detour yeah, yeah. to get to two places which are like? when there's ample room to put a pavement or to have a right of way down the field next to it. And I find that particularly frustrating. And what I would say in Scotland's defense, that is much better since I got North of the border. I mean, I've walked today. It's been pretty much tarmac where I've walked, but there's been a pavement the entire way for, you know, 10 miles, a cycle and walking pavement. And that's much, much better up here than it is down in England. Um, so I found that uh, very frustrating. I, I, I've just been speared by my own tangent, which I do quite quite uh, regularly. I've actually forgotten what, what the question was. You were talking about getting refused service at the... Oh, uh, yeah, that was it. But yeah, so um, but I just came to that with... Um, there's a hotel on the West Highland Way, is it? And it's a big white building. It's sort of towards the end of Loch Lomond. Anyway, so we sat outside there, and I and my wife was like, "Oh, we'll just go in and use the loos," and I was like, "Oh, yeah, all right." And it's, it's a bit posh for us, really. So I started getting the kids snacks out, and then she came out, and she's like, "In the back room, they're doing like cof- hikers' coffee for like fifty p, and a bit of cake for twenty p, and like proper set up for walkers." So the exact opposite of what you experienced. It's, it's the one with it's got the hikers' entrance, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in the Hotel. Yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That's but awesome. yeah, I, I literally sat out there and went, "That's too posh for me." Like. And then we were welcomed in with open arms. And it is, it's a grand, it's a grand old hotel, isn't yeah. it? You could see, like you tell it was set up for the sort of 19th century European gentry who uh, travelled up to, up to Scotland. And um, yeah, so that was going to be my counter is just, I, I think obviously, you know, Scotland does also attract um, sometimes slightly wealthier tourists in certain parts. And um, yeah, it, it was just, you know, in a way I can almost understand because like it was quite a nice hotel, very much just catering to the sailing community. And I walked in probably very smelly and dirty and hairy. So, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm surprised I've not refused more more places generally in life, to be honest. See, to be <laughs> honest, like we got into the like as a family, we got into hiking and wild camping, especially because we felt we were getting priced out of even staying on a campsite. Mm. Yeah, because we were, you know, we were on a much lower income then as we are now. Um, so I was, I was self-employed, and if I cleared thirteen grand, that was a good year. So we'd go off down to Dartmoor with a tent for our holiday, or we'd go off on a hiking trip in in Scotland. You know, and what we would spend on rail fare to get there, we would save on campsites. But absolutely, I mean, I've had, I've. I, a couple of times, uh, you know, I have, I've used campsites if I've had to use campsites and I've used B&Bs if I've had to use uh, B Yeah, you, know, you it, sent me a message saying all, something about, oh, I'd, I'd look down on you or frown upon you because you were having a bed for the night or having a shower or something. I was like, no, uh, it's just, man, you know, no, no, if, if you have it, to do it, you have it. to do it. No, yeah. I agree, I agree. But what it was, it was I was very lucky that uh, it was an old client of mine had actually gifted me a night in a hotel in Glasgow. and um, But it was so alien to everything I'd experienced up to that point. Um, so, you know, I'd say I've been 90% while camping, you know, some of the rest campsites but but then even there so that's what i was going to say is there's you know in some of the touristy parts of the country the cost of the campsite like for a non-electric pitch is north of 30 quid and i was looking out thinking i can get a b&b for about 10 pound more with breakfast that makes no sense so like i would always choose and you're not getting to the campsite till late at night and you're leaving yeah. early in the morning and, and, and i'm not and i'm and half the time i wasn't having a shower if i'm really yeah. honest with you because i didn't have the time so yeah. i was just basically just i'm just sleeping on a bit of grass like for 30 quid whereas and, and this is the thing the temptation then just to go well i'll just look 10 meters up the road 
when I met my uh, wife, if you'll pardon the sort of personal indulgence for a minute, but when we um, when we first met, she had um, <laughs> she she was working in financial PR, uh, and I, and I wasn't, but um, she had mostly mostly been dating you know, people working in finance and that. So I think most of our holidays for the last few years have been to like Monaco and places like that. <laughs> and our first two holidays were the very first one. I took a B&B around the West Coast of Ireland. Oh, lovely. Much, much against her uh, wishes. But she always says to me, we were coming out of a pub in Cork uh, and we'd had a lot of Guinness and the rain, I mean, it was pissing it down horizontal and we had our umbrellas like this and we had a bit and I just remember she was laughing hysterically and she told me that was the moment where she knew like, that this was it but then our second one was we, yeah we drove to France and went camping in France and basically that was our holidays for the first you know we were pretty broke when we first met she got made redundant and then we set up a business and you would always assume if you set up a business everyone assumes if you have a business you're, you're rolling in it to be honest yeah, yeah. we didn't take a salary for three years no, we were no. on working tax credits every benefit Effort you could get we we were basically sort of bizarrely functioning poor if that makes sense we had no money but we were running quite a successful business yeah, yeah, yeah. that we had to build up and um yeah so we we just every year we just went camping somewhere and yeah, that was can... it like either yeah sorry go no i was because i um similar to you i can remember when me when me and hazel were first um because i met hazel in new zealand we were both over there traveling separately and we met over there and then came Amazing. back together um, where did you meet whereabouts in new zealand queenstown party central oh, of course obviously, obviously. In, the queenstown, in the queenstown backpackers i presume probably uh, deco's backpackers it was oh decos yeah yeah, yeah. okay up, up on the top of the hill do you know it then i do yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i was there we were there in 2004 so um, I i've jumped so- off i've jumped i've definitely jumped off that bungee i know yeah all oh, right okay um right. but we were um sat around the table at my in-laws or soon to be in-laws and hazel's brother was down and they were chatting about all their holidays that they used to go on it's like, oh do you remember the one when we went to the algarve and do you remember we went skiing here and do you remember we went to the safe of france and the other and the other and i'm just like well dad used to take us to D- to dawlish in the tent in october <laughs> because that's the only time he was allowed any time off after the harvest because he had to get cleaned up after the harvest so we, yeah two weeks in Two weeks in a tent in Dawlish, and they they thought I was joking. Um, so um, just wrapping up, you've, how long left do you reckon you've got on this trail? Uh, just over a week. So I, um, with all these things, unfortunately, I'm I'm limited slightly by time. Mm. I start. Uh, I said I'm doing a, a master's in psychology at the moment, and I start back in September. So I do unfortunately have to be back for that. So I'm meeting uh, my wife and my kids on, I've lost track of what day we're on. I think we're third, what, what day Wednesday we? today. Oh, we're Wednesday. Okay. So this Sunday, I think that's the 21st, I'm meeting them just kind of around the corner on the northeast on the uh, on the John O'Groats Trail. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm curious about the John O'Groats Trail. I don't know if you've, you have any experience or if you've heard much, but, but I've heard some horror stories. There, there seems to be debate about how actually sort of finished it is. Yeah. Right. So, um, do you want spoilers or not? Uh, well, like I said, I mean, I kind of discover it as it as it goes anyway. But I, I want to try and avoid walking on the A nine if I can. Yeah. So Stephanie Killenbeck Turner, who I had on before, um, she finished it. So she finished a few weeks ago, and she had some bother, and I think she ended up on the road. Right. But I'm, I'm sure that'll happen with me at some point. If you're happy wayfinding, then you can always find. You know, you don't have to stick to the trail, do you? You don't have to take the most direct route. I've, 
and and this is the thing like i said so i've done that over a few hills just because i, I do generally my, my approach to orienteering is especially in scotland now is generally to kind of look at a to b and work out <laughs> a the most scenic way, though, yeah. yeah exactly so so yeah I, i'll probably be finished around about the 28th 29th uh which will be about 60 days of of walking three rest days and you're raising money for headway while you're doing this for headway which is uh the charity that provides support and awareness for uh, life after brain injury and i saw you made a little announcement of how much money you've raised already yeah so we've offline donations right it's around about 10 grand um, and I've got a bit of, I know I've got a few sort of corporate uh, things that I've, I've swung just with a bit of guilt. Uh, right. So I know I've got a bit more. I'd, I'd love to try and double that if I can by the That'd time I'm finished. I will. I, I, I hope so. That's I'll the, put links um, in the show notes to you because you've got Just Giving page, haven't you? So I'll put links right, in that yeah. to everyone and I'll shake that out and share that out. You've already sort of touched on it. You're worrying a little bit about maybe some the anticlimax of the finish, but are you already kind of thinking about the next adventure or are you just looking to savour this? So I set up a you know a relatively successful fitness business called The Foundry. We have six gyms in London. Been doing it for a long time. And I said, I've stepped back from the management of that now. And what I'd realised is I'd inadvertently created my own sort of corporate atmosphere <laughs> like I'd, I'd basically all the reasons i didn't i wanted to get into fitness and out of the sort of corporate world and then i just basically turned myself into a mid-level manager in my own company and what i've entirely realized is that, that i'm not in, i'm just not inherently that person i need some adventure I need to get outside i need to be doing things it doesn't have to be all the time like obviously this is an extreme version of that but I definitely can't sit in a house and stagnate mentally, psychologically, physically. So, yeah, I'm, I've got quite a few adventures, some of them hiking and camping, some of them more. I think uh, the wife and I are currently looking at maybe a bit of an interrailing adventure next year with Excellent. the kids. We've got one of those planned uh, up to Norway. So. Oh, amazing. Well, we basically worked out the cost of flying to see my sister in Dusseldorf from London is the same as basically a three-week trip round Europe on the train because under-12s is free. So... <laughs> And then, and then another thing, I actually very recently met a Dutch couple and I'm afraid I can't remember the name of the walk. Uh, so you, you might have to put it in the show notes or, or look it up unless you know. But it's basically a four-day, it's the world's biggest multi-event hike. It's four days nonstop. And it's basically you either do 30 kilometers, 40 kilometers or 50 kilometers per day, depending on your gender and your age. And so for me, it would be, 50 kilometers per day with 10 kilometers on my back for four days and just from the physical challenge i think that sounds awful and brilliant and the lady i spoke to yeah so she she did basically 40k a day for four days and apparently it's a massive uh you know party atmosphere people cook food on the side of the road and a big international event and i think i'd love to tick off a few random things like right. that as well as uh you know as, as well as some of the bigger bigger trails can i ask what your next adventure is i'm curious um, i'm sure listeners you know. we don't we've stopped making serious plans because <laughs> okay. it seems we try and make a plan and stuff goes wrong. It's not conducive to my mental health at the minute. That's fair. Much. So I've got the week off at the end of, and we're not going anywhere, but Hazel starts back at work for the first time since having the, the kid. So the eldest one's 15. So it's 15 years since she's been in the workplace. So she starts back at work on the 1st of September. So I'm t- taking the week off before that. And a few days after um, I've got a camping trip on Dartmoor with Tom, who was on the podcast previously. So that's at the end of September. 
and then we kind of maybe doing the coast to coast next year is a long distance it's kind of like a long-term plan when time and logistics allow can i can i uh propose the spontaneous approach to hiking that i have <laughs> definitely yeah so so i have got a free pass as well from the wife so she's basically said wow. if it if it helps go away for a weekend but then obviously i have that issue with oh this is time i should be spending with the kids or they could be with me and but i'm just gonna bite the bullet and get on with it so well and and, and then again the same for you you when you when you do get to the end and i know you, you you seem a little bit worried about the end but as long as you take some time to like look back and reflect on the achievement and give yourself a pat on the back and i mean like eight grand if it sits at eight grand ten grand whatever it is you've raised that's masses that's loads I, I of money know. that people can do loads of good with so yeah it is no, you, props to you dave oh thank you Rob. it is you're absolutely right and i know i do have to remind myself that and it's it's not about the kudos or anything like that with me i think it is just it's been it came at a time in my life when i was as low as i could get because i had just been through um kind of all the medical testing and everything for for you know in effect the concern was that i had like cte or dementia early onset dementia and, and thankfully currently that's now okay however obviously i've always got that risk um and so that that was preying on my mind an awful lot you know making memories and trying to retain memories and i think just this what's been so helpful with this is just the simplicity of of, of everything for me now I, I get up i walk i find somewhere to sleep i go to bed and for a period of time and i realize you can't put life off forever but that has been incredibly helpful and uh, therapeutic and so i am in a much better place and very happy and i think it's just that slight anxiety of like yourself not wanting things to slip and i've realized that being outside hiking camping and adventures are definitely a little part for me of my maintenance protocol that i that i had ignored and possibly rather than even ignored just not had the opportunity to take for a, for a long time Okay.